1: Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. It is Wednesday, December 22nd. I have Britt Robson of Min Post here. Uh, before I bring Britt in or welcome Brit in as he's staring at me through the screen, uh, just quick announcement I haven't talked yet on the pod about uh, how I did test positive for COVID. I'm doing fine, but just from a pod standpoint, I'm going to take off. Uh, some of these post-game pods until I'm feeling a little bit better I can still do these afternoon recordings with Britt and that sort of thing um I think hopefully you know knock on wood everything will be uh all right and we'll be back to normal here in a week or so uh yeah I'm still very capable of sitting at my desk and uh and watching Timberwolves games so Britt Robson uh you're here what's up man
2: Oh, not much. I, uh, I'm i feeling fine, so I'm not too worried. I'm going to get tested uh, sometime today or tomorrow um, just because not even necessarily our proximity. We sit next to each other, but we also sit directly behind a ton of Timberwolves players, <laughs> a few of them who have tested positive. Uh, Vando rode the bicycle uh, the, the night before. He was tested positive the next day, so...
1: Uh... And Patrick Beverly was eating that peanut butter sandwich right in front of us, <laughs> too, at the last game. I mean, I I personally don't, like, I don't put any blame on it. I mean, it's it's your choice. It's my choice to to be there uh, at the games. I, I think, I don't know if and, or not if, I don't know when I got it. It was... I was traveling with the team last week. Right, I was going to say it's probably yeah, the road knows. trip,
2: if anything. You know, because that was when the the full weight of it hadn't really hit people yet, and so yeah. I think people were a little more casual. Uh, you and I were much less casual on Sunday night. Right. Um, in fact, that was what I told you that I couldn't do Tuesday. So, uh, right.
1: Oh, I, I should mention that too. Uh, apology on my behalf and I guess Britt's behalf, that we weren't able to do the Forgotten Star uh, live event. I, I I had a blast at that this summer when we did it, Britt. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, we'll do it again uh, at some point when when the world uh, allows it, maybe when it's a, a little bit right. warmer out or, or something. Just kind of crazy times right now, and we just put our heads down, and we'll, we'll get through this, I think.
2: Yeah. Now, are you going to go on the 27th and 28th?
1: Not if I have any symptoms, obviously. Uh, You know, probably ten days, isn't it? Yeah, it's you got to kind of figure that all out. I honestly don't feel uh, that bad, but I do have you know some some symptoms and and stuff. So I'm not gonna mess around with that at all. And uh, you know, just be testing myself and and that sort of thing. And but yeah, the twenty they play at home the 27th and the 28th. Uh, unless I've registered a bunch of negative tests, I won't be at those games. Which is, which is fine. Honestly, for me, the bigger bummer is not being able to see my family and stuff for, for Christmas. And, oh, and that that's, right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, it is yeah. what it is. It is <laughs> right. It, it all is. What it
2: well, is. and also, I mean, not to, I mean, I'm sure we're just scintillating our listeners with this, but uh, uh, do you think we should move back from our yeah. seats?
1: Yeah. <laughs> You mean we shouldn't sit right behind the players who are huffing and puffing on the bike? Yeah. We maybe we maybe shouldn't reconsider. I mean, in all seriousness, though, like this whole thing and as you were just getting to, like, I think everything changed in my mind over the past ten days. I went on that road trip, yeah, was it was nine days ago, and it wasn't even on my mind as as something personally putting me at risk or the play or anything. You know, it's right, it's, right. It really has exploded. Um. now right and and so we'll we'll react to it as such uh, and you know just be smart right like right. you know we don't want don't want anybody to anybody to be getting sick and yeah we'll we'll figure it out but basketball yes. Uh, last so I guess since last we recorded or close to that the Wolves were on a starting with that Portland game uh, last two Sundays ago, um, the Wolves were went four zero. They beat right. Portland. They beat Denver. They beat the Lakers. They beat who's the fourth one? Why Dallas. Out? Da- they beat Dallas. Um, so that was that was four straight wins over that run of time. Carl Anthony Towns was playing incredible. Uh, the Wolves were fifth in offense, fifth in defense over that stretch, and were really rolling going into a game in Dallas last night. And yes, they were shorthanded, but Dallas was objectively far more shorthanded than the Wolves were, which I think contributed to a pretty, uh, a pretty low feeling of, of that loss. It felt like, it felt like it's about as bad of a loss as a, as a road game can, can feel like, are you with that? No, I totally disagree.
2: Okay. <laughs> Perfect. And I, I'm just, I'm shocked. I mean, all these people, uh, Tim nation on Twitter was just, you know, clutching their pearls and wringing their hands. And John Krasinski said it was a terrible loss. And he's, you know, usually as reliable a barometer of, of sanity and, you know, <laughs> pacific behavior as anybody I know. And all I can chalk it up to is people still don't understand what the identity of this team is. How the hell do they think this team has been winning ball games this season? It hasn't yep. been because Anthony Edwards is is filling it up, or that, uh, you know, Cat and Dilo are going to just run roughshod over the opposition. This team wins games by extending <laughs> possessions on the offensive glass and by turning over the opposition. They did neither one of those things last night, and the reason they did neither one of those things was because Patrick Beverly Vando, to some extent, Josh Okogie to some extent, Edwards, who does have quite a few steals and deflections. He's not a great on-ball defender. He's a gambler, but he is disruptive in his own way. And all of those guys were missed, and they were missed mostly in terms of on-ball defense and extending possessions on the glass. And Still should have
1: won, man. Still should have won. I mean, there's no re- I mean, Carl Anthony Towns was rolling in that game. Um, it needed to be more Carl Anthony Towns involvement. He can't be third in shots on the team. Um, there, there is. I, I think it's almost as simple as he took 14 shots in the game. I think if he takes 20 plus, they win that game. Okay, and who usually gets him the ball? I. But you know where I'm at on that man. It Pat doesn't. Beverly. Okay, he needs to create more of his own shots in that situation. And I'm not ripping on Cat. Cat had an awesome right. week. This is just. This is the, what I'm talking about all the time with. Self-create more often, isolate more often, cre- cre- just shoot more threes from the top of the key. None of the, not as many of the the pump and goes. <laughs> how
2: many games has Cat shooting won for this team, and how many games has the formula I just uh, described won for this team?
1: You're not you're not wrong. I'm not obviously that is the identity of this team. I totally agree with that. And they
2: did not have their identity, so I understand what you're saying. You're saying that it's a terrible opponent once you take away Hardaway, Chris Stapps, and Luca. Granted, they're three best players, but you can also say they're at home. They're in a little bit of a losing streak themselves. They had just gotten through losing a game 48 hours before to an opponent. And you also have to look at this Timberwolves team. This Timberwolves team gets beaten up. They are a small team. And when you take away Vando and Pat Bev, they are the most rugged defenders on this team. You take away those guys, and what happened? Jade McDaniels got bullied last night a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, and he is the best on-ball defender left on the roster. So what do you have in terms of on-ball defense? Nate Knight was uh, a godsend during his little stint at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, because he actually got into people. Nas Reed doesn't get into people. Cat doesn't get into people. D'Lo, for all his good defense this year, is not a get into a person guy. Um, They don't have the guys who take people out of plays. And Jalen Brunson is a guy who you need to be physical with in order to stop. He's a cat and mouse guy, but he's a physical guy on cat and mouse. And he had 28-9 or whatever it was, and he made it look
1: easy. I, I think I know. have frustration that you're right, that that's the identity. I, I I don't think a team should have one identity for being able to win a basketball game. And if you look at it, the Wolves 11 times this season have given up uh, a, defensive, a single game defensive rating over 115 11 times. They're 0-11 in those games. So you're right. They lose when they don't defend well. That just... It shouldn't be that black and white. <laughs> it shouldn't be that black and white, man. Know, like Particularly when you have offensive talent. The Wolves did still have offensive talent in that game. And yes, D'Lo shot poorly. But, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm looking at 23 three-point attempts for Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, and I'm looking at four for Cap.
2: Uh-huh. No, and, I totally and, get that. Yep, and those are not bad points to make. And I agree with you that um, they got away from that after the first quarter cat did his thing in the first quarter and it looked like they were going to be able to put this team away. Even though it was a seesaw battle, you just felt like the wolves were the better team. But as things went along, first of all, Dorian Finney Smith, I think is incredibly underrated. Totally Uh, he he, shut down D'Lo. And he knows how to get to the corners on shots. He's a good three and D player. And, um, he did do a good job on D'Lo. Um, Chris Finch responded well but a little tardy to putting McDaniel's on Brunson. Um I think Leando Balmero as the guy to handle oh Brunson. Oh my god. <sighs> you know, I mean, he's not a bad defender, but he is a zero. He's worse than he's worse than anybody on the team on offense because he really doesn't shoot and can't shoot and he also is not a particularly great team defender. He's good on-ball defender, but uh, he doesn't have enough NBA experience. Uh, the, the, the typical, you know, the whole Gogi jang comments about, yeah, they're X's and O's when they draw it up, but they're not staying X's and O's when they're on the court <laughs> is, is clearly what Balmero needs. He needs minutes to be a better team defender, but I think he needs minutes in Iowa. He does not need minutes here, Except for the fact that, you know, again, we're coveted to the point where this team has been strip mined quite a bit here.
1: Yeah, well, covert or not, can't play right now. I mean, no, I
2: don't, I don't think you can play Bomero much. And to be fair to Finch, he didn't play in the second half. I mean, yeah, it, for sure. He, he went Twin Towers, which is an interesting idea. And the, the abiding faith in Nas Reed, I get that there is, you know, some history for Nas being improved. And that he has some obvious skills, but right now he's a he's a walking ambulance in terms of uh <laughs> you know what happens. This team, you know, bleeds when he's on the court. And Damn. and and I really think it was eye-opening to me how Nate Knight made both Cat and Nas much better on defense, and it was because Nate Knight was challenging shots. And cat challenges shots too, but the dude can't do everything. Yeah, um, you know. And, and so again, you know, I'm, I'm talking about defense again. And Nate Knight is a fouling machine because he. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, he, he is somebody who, you know, uh, one of those
1: guys who's never thinks he's created a foul with the right. body, right? I, also,
2: <laughs> I I think he understands what his role is. What I really like about him is he's disciplined to the schemes. He knows what he's supposed to do, and he's diligent, um, but he overdoes it. And I tend to think that's a reflection of him knowing what his role is. He's a he's the 11th to 14th guy on the team, however you want to structure that. Um, right. He's the guy who comes in when they send up a bat signal that they need some kind of hail mary to win this game, you know. And that's what Finch went to, and he actually was the reason more than any other player during that third quarter, fourth quarter run where the Wolves actually grabbed the lead for a quick minute, so you know. You know
1: I, I want to go back to your the the Jaden McDaniels on um, Brunson thing, and and you're right, like that was the only real option they had there, and they needed to. I mean, Brunson was going to be the guy who gets 20-25 for Dallas last night. He just, he was right. going to, once Hardaway was out, like, it was going to be him, so they, they tried to have McDaniels out there as much as, as they could, but I thought it was interesting, and I kind of did agree with it, um, particularly once it became clear. Okay, can't play Paul Morrow, so Finch went with Noel and Russell out there together, meaning one of them had to guard Brunson. And you and I, Noel, yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, like let's see, Jalen. Like we we right. know you've got the offense. You've talked about like all the defense and stuff, and I've loved what we've seen from Jalen Noel this week um, in terms of what he's brought offensively, and. It would have been so encouraging if he would have been able to like hold his own in that Bomaro matchup defensively. And that just unfortunately isn't quite there yet. Right. I don't know. He's he's not a very big guy. Maybe there's like I think what did Finch say at the the last press conference? Like, we just need him to be like average defensively.
2: Right. Yeah, Finch and- was was just as blunt as you could possibly be. He's not on the court because of his defense. I mean, yeah. he, I think he literally said that, and mm-hmm. and you know the pro- or he said the problem is deep. What keeps him off the court is defense. He's fine. Right. Everybody knows he can be on offense. And you're right. When he matched up against Brunson, um, and to be fair, Brunson is somebody who um, he he tortures second unit. Totally. Guys. Yeah. And and and. The Wolves had a bunch of second-unit guys. And to be fair to Finch, and I know I, I actually bend over back or to be fair to Finch because I respect him so much, but I do think he was the starting four last night. Now, another decision could have been made, but Vando was out, and he went with the first three games of the season. You know, I mean, Okogie was out too. So right. you basically had the situation where unless you're going to play Nas or – you know, uh, night. You know, because Prince is also out. That you had to go with a hundred and eighty-pound Jade McDaniel's as your power forward. And right. In retrospect, and maybe even at the time, if I thought, you know, more about it, I still I am of the conclusion. It's one probably one of the things I'll write about when I read. I call him tomorrow. Jade McDaniels is no longer a front court player in my estimation. Facts. He, is, he is a wing player. He is a wing stopper. And if that wing is too long. It's large, funny that
1: we even confuse that ever. Right? You know, like, well, right, right. you know, maybe he's forward. Yeah, yeah, no, he's not. He, and, he's but that's not fine. And that's fine. That right, right. No, it's I, fine. Exactly. A, Kogi weighs, a Kogi weighs like 40 pounds more than he does.
2: <laughs> I know. And that really does matter. I've never seen weight matter as much. Um, because even the mistakes Jalen has made, uh, what's his name, Jayden. Yeah, I, I get the J's on, I, just, I ought to just call him McDaniels, um, he understands that he's getting bullied, and as a result, he's not playing as the same way defensively he played last year, which was to trail guys and then use his length to block the shot. Now he knows that they are going to try to get into him. And right, as they're going result, for the
1: body, they're going for his body
2: exactly. And as a result, he's trying to strip people and be more disruptive before the shot. He used to be disruptive, he used to bide his time and wait for the shot to go up and then contest the shot because he's lithe and agile enough to follow the guy as long as the guy isn't trying to run him over. And right. so, um. That's that's something that they found out about McDaniels, and he hasn't been able to solve it. And I think he hasn't been able to solve it because he's physically incapable of solving it. And that's, that's a concern. That is uh, something that will reduce his value if he doesn't, A, put on weight, and B, figure out an effective counter strategically to what they're doing. And until either one of those things happen, he needs to stay on – Large threes are about as high up on the weight size hierarchy as I want to go with
1: him. I should just guard point guards, the lead ball handler. I, will, I mean, Well, I
2: mean, and that's why you have Pat Bev, of course. Um, right. But but I um, thought they did a
1: really good job against Brunson in the first Dallas game, where it was Pat Bev or McDaniel's. Like that's a hell exactly. of a yes, that's, that's a hell of a job for Brunson to have to you know. Okay, first you get Pat very Bev.
2: Different, but, right? Two very yeah. different guys, right? Right.
1: Right. right. Um, All right, let's take a quick break here and uh, be back with Britt in one second here for segment two. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy and talent to make things really work and that's never been truer for growing companies 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight reach out to clark and ben who are wolves fans and fans of this show by emailing them at team at 20 by 20 solutions.com that's t-e-a-m at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we're back with Britt Robson of MinPost. Britt, the next thing I kind of want to talk about is, I think we can split this, what is it now, three games of COVID-ness to this team. And in the first games, you had the the impact or lack thereof of not having Anthony Edwards, Torian Prince, and Josh Kogi, And now in this last game, you had the impact or lack thereof of Pat Bev and Jared Vanderbilt being out. I, I think I know we're going to go with the answer to this question, but which one of the two do you think they missed more? If one is Ant and the other is Pat Bev sure, and Jared Vanderbilt? sure.
2: Well, it's kind of unfair because if if all the three guys came back as Vando and Pat Bev were out, it would be a, a better comparison. Yep. The fact of the matter is that the more guys you lose, the loss gets exponential. Mm-hmm. If you don't have Pat Bev and you don't have Ant to give you back court depth, you know, that's how you, you know. So the, you have those situations. All that said, of course I'm going to say – The team hangs its hat on defense. Their (laughs) their defensive juggernauts are in, and it's almost hard to figure out who is more important to the defense at this point. I mean, Pat Bev is the tone setter, the culture guy who is riling everybody up. Vando is, as I said, the lungs and hamstrings, the engine, whatever you want to call it, the guy who, who makes the thing go. Um, you know, uh, Pat Bev may be the driver, um, but he needs to have something to drive. And without well, Vando, it, the the vehicle isn't nearly as effective.
1: Yeah, I, well, and I think that vehicle. A lot of it is D'Angelo Russell, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah,
2: Delo uh, having uh, missing both Vando and Pat Bev really hurts Delo. Uh, we did this. That's what we saw last night.
1: Right, I, I tweeted it out before the game. I mean, and we kind of know this: the numbers when of the starting lineup, the normal starting lineup, but particularly the D'Lo, Vando, Pat, Bev triumvirate when they're on the floor together. I mean, cleaning the glass like you, you can split it up for who's on the floor or not. One
2: hundred eighteen percentile, right?
1: Look, they're literally one hundredth percentile. Well, that's what I mean.
2: You know, if, yeah. they, had, if they had a higher rating, <laughs> right. it would be it would be higher.
1: Like so, quote unquote, perfect offense when those three are on the floor, and perfect defense when those three are on the floor. N- numerically, this season, and then without much
2: drop off when the other two guys are on the floor either.
1: Right. You know I mean, you know, it really
2: is a, a pretty astounding quintet. But you're right, we're talking trio here.
1: It it is interesting though, again, and this is just numbers wise, and I'm not sure how accurate it all is. If you go for the minutes where D'Lo is on the floor and Pap Bev and Vando are off this year, where they take the hit is on offense. D'Lo mm-hmm. is – that that group is – or the D'Lo minutes with Vando and Pap off is ninth percentile in terms of offense and 91st in terms of defense. But so, you know why?
2: It's because that's the second unit. Yeah, That's no cap. Mm-hmm. And so, you know – Yeah, you're that, right. You know, and that's, you know, Torian Prince and Nas Reed and, you know, choose your, you know, cold, cold Malik Beasley, you know, in the first, you know, month of the season or whatever. Um, D'Lo didn't have a lot to work with there. And let's face it, D'Lo's shot has been pretty much missing in action. Uh, I would say 80% of the season and those 20%, uh, most of them are cobbled together crunch times. Um, He just hasn't. He's been hot occasionally in the first quarter and hot more regularly in crunch time. But from like when he goes out in the middle of the first quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter, in the middle of the fourth quarter, those three quarters are, are not good shooting from D'Lo all season, it feels to me.
1: Do you think his shot's going to come around?
2: You have to think so, but uh, the numbers are not great in terms of... It. He's not a sharpshooter. Um, he looks like more of a sharpshooter because he... I don't think open or contested makes a lot of difference to him. Um, yeah, he it, did last night. Yeah, but even... He missed some open Js, too. I mean, it's... Uh, I think it's right. how he feels, you know, if he's in a groove. And, and you know, and again... He, because he's so, uh, his wingspan is so enormous, size does matter. Um, He can be being guarded by a guy who's also 6'3 or 6'4, but he still is the bigger player. But when he guy a guy, Finney Smith is listed, I think, at 6'7, and I think he's taller than that. But he is standing next to Cat. Uh, On a Sunday night, he looked like maybe an inch or two shorter than Cat. So, I I do think size bothers D'Lo because he can't get off his cat and mouse contested jumper as easily.
1: Um, I think when we talk about like some of the the Wolves bugaboos this year, right? The you know the the being able to to figure out how to go through the whole cat getting doubled in the post thing, the roaming second big like that's obviously on the big board of Wolves problems this year. There's also their like their ability to defend against that spread pick and roll has been a has been a problem, obviously, in that Atlanta game, the Utah game, some other games along the way. Then there's also just like the physicality. And I was thinking last night, if I was going to add to it, given just how important D'Lo is to the offense, because he is so high usage. I think another issue, matchup issue is becoming like, or something that opponents will target is guarding him with a really big player, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, uh, like a Dorian Finney-Smith type right. guy, I, I would, again, if I was an opponent, I would I would target that. Like, I don't know, off the top of my head, like Utah tomorrow, like I'm putting Royce O'Neal on him, right? Okay. And I, Not I, my I, comment. Gr-
2: I, I grant you all of that, but that's why it was hard for me I mean, not that hard because I immediately went to Vando and, and uh, Pat Bev as the bigger losses. But if Ant's on the floor, Finney Smith is on Ant.
1: Yeah. But that's kind of what I'm talking about is maybe don't do that. Like If
2: you let Ant get guarded by a small, um, you know, let's say Brunson or let's say, I don't know, Tim Hardaway. Or Conley. Or whatever. L-
1: let's talk about the Utah game. Like, oh,
2: Utah. Okay. Mike so Conley on Ant. I I, I I would look forward to that matchup if I were the Timberwolves. I mean, yeah. Ant would Ant would abuse Mike Conley,
1: and well, and and I think Dilo would be able to get to his shot and stuff more against Conley as well. So, but I know I'm, I'm going to kind of stick to my guns here. Like I, I think that's what I would do if I was Utah, and I would do have the the roaming Gobert at the rim, and then okay, yeah, Ant's going to get by Conley, but you still have Gobert at the back line at the rim. Like, I I don't know. I mean. It's one, it's one game, but I think we have kind of seen this over the course of the year. If D'Lo doesn't have his space to kind of operate uh, in the mid-range for that pull-up, or even from the three-point line for that pull-up, I think that does hurt his offense even more. His best, his best offensive games have been in the ones or in the games where he can get to his space and pull right. up over the defender, and that's a lot harder to do against the Dorian Finney-Smith. That's a lot I, harder I would, to do against I would agree Schumer.
2: with that. I, I think what I would argue back, um, and it, it's not a bad case you're making. Uh, I think you're making a good argument on a losing argument, um, <laughs> which is that and properly, des- you know, described by Chris Finch as the home run hitter. He's the guy that gets you 15 points in you know six minutes. Yeah. D'Lo D'Lo can do that, but not as You don't expect it. I mean, uh, put it this way. If Ann hits the team's six points, whether it's two threes, uh, you know, a three-point play and a three or or three buckets, you know, mid-range and two laps, however you want to say it, if Anthony Edwards gets his team's six points in a row, I guarantee you, I guarantee you the opposing coach is calling timeout. Mm Mm-hmm because that means a tsunami is on the horizon. And right. so if you want to court that tsunami by playing Conley on him instead of O'Neal, I think that that's, I think that's a, uh, you may, you may basically forfeit, uh, a, you know, a 10 point swing pretty quickly.
1: Okay. So how about this? The best lineup you can, put out defensively against the wolves in my opinion is to have the power forward guarding cat agree center roaming agree for the double plus two big wings out there one to put on ant one to put on dlo and then have your smaller guard on patrick beverly now not every team has that personnel to be able to do it but i think if you go through and you look at starting lineups of the wolves different opponents if i'm just saying i'm going to note that now when I'm when I'm looking at the matchups going forward and say, oh, they they have a a Royce O'Neill and uh, who and and Bogdano- oh, and I guess Bogdanovich would be on cat, but a team that can can guard and right. and D'Lo with some size, I think that will be cumbersome for for the Wolves' offense uh, a little bit going forward. Not unsolvable, like right, you you can get to it. You just probably got to run a little bit more pick and roll, set some more screens, get like find yourself some better and cutting. better matchups. I really do yeah. think
2: that. Um, the way I see that working out is that usage goes up for Cat, both in terms of dime cutting, you know, making um, those passes, uh, mostly with Vando, but I think Pat Bev is also pretty good at it. And then also shooting. Cat um, just basically takes a few more contested looks as, uh, I mean, Jim Pete. Um, Made a, a really perceptive comment last night when Cat committed his one really egregious turnover. Uh, he he's has gotten better about that, but when he was doubled and he just flung the ball into like the eighth yeah. row, and Jim <laughs> Pete said, "Just lock lock and load on that," you know. I mean, and he's right. You know, if a guy's six eleven or six ten or whatever you want to you know call Cat's height, um, shooting over a double team. And I know he isn't a jump shooter. He's a set shooter. But I still like the odds of that better than the stray voltage that we get. Otherwise, when Cat has gotten frustrated with, you know, the way things are going. So
1: I I think one of the things what Jim Pete was getting to, I I was talking to him about this before one of the games. And he was talking about when he was in uh, in Golden State and he played with Mitch Richmond. Uh they would they would go to I mean Richmond was a a load for for a yeah. guard but they were trying like actually yeah that's actually a good point he he was like we would try and Don Nelson would try and run this action to to get a lot of mitch Richmond post-ups and he's guarded by a guard a lot of the time so they would try and front that or double that and what they would get to and, and Jim would be making the pass a little bit more of a high low league is is he would lock and drop. So you have the front there and you, you immediately recognize the player fronting you in the post there and you and you immediately turn into functionally like the backdoor version of a post up. You're excited by the fact that they're trying to take that away and that's just a, a lob over the top and it is what we see Cat do in those situations more often when he is being denied the ball in the post. Cat will respond by going further out to the perimeter to get the catch. He'll go he said, "You're fronting me." Okay, well, I'm just gonna go out to 19 feet and get in front of you right, and, and right. get the ball there. When I, I think, yeah, the the move probably is just to spin baseline, you know, for the lob. particularly if Cat's being guarded by a small, like that, you know, that that pass should be there. And I think this is all this year is all an adjustment for Cat in being guarded in this manner. He just does need to add a couple more adjustments like that or counters. Maybe is the right word. To the, to the way in which he's been guarded. And I, I feel kind of bad with us somewhat bagging on on Cat because it's not like the past five games have been bad Cat right, games. Right, right. They just, I mean, he's the best player. They just need, they need a little bit more. They need more shots from Cat overall, and they need more shots and more touches for him in good places. And I think he can do a little bit himself to to find those things
2: and and thank you for clarifying yeah. that i i totally misunderstood that comment i tried to figure out what the second word he said after lock was i even ran mm-hmm. it back and i i it didn't sound like load but lock a drop didn't make any sense to me so i didn't even mm-hmm. like consider that as an option and having this explanation really does help because you're right uh, he was referring to Cat getting his own offense, so I thought he meant lock and shoot, you know? Right. Uh, um,
1: well, well, that's not you, a bad idea either. <laughs>
2: uh, no, but I also like the idea of the spin off. I yeah. mean, I think, I think, to be honest with you, Cat is a little bit self-conscious over his lack of lift. And I think hmm. that, if you notice, Cat is not a frequent lob target. Um, totally. He does not yeah. enjoy... <laughs> seeing how high he can get above the rim because I don't think it's that high. You right. know? And so and so I think he doesn't want that secret to be, you know, out there that I think blatantly.
1: he's a I think he's a one foot jumper, right? Yeah. Like when he gets in a fast break and he goes up and he does this little like cock it back sort of thing. Like that's he gets up there. Little,
2: that's his biggest thing.
1: Well then he can get up on that but that's He's got a running start and he's jumping yeah, off of one leg. A running
2: start. Lid. He does. He can't get up on that if he's inside the foul line.
1: Right, because he's got to. If you he's do got, the lock he, and he, drop thing, you got to go off of two. And, right. and yeah, so I I bet you he can jump a lot higher off of one foot than he can off of two feet. And that's. Yeah. I mean, some players are just like that, you know.
2: Well, and that may be one of the reasons he's such a great shooter is that you know he he's perfected a way of playing that right. fits fits his particular skill sets and skills are honed by favoring what you can do and not what you can't do. And so, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, Cat is, is playing, not only is he playing his best basketball in, in quite a while, I don't know if it's the best of his career, it might be, but his balance of, what he does on the court, how he acts on the sideline and in the locker room and his take on just on life in general is less cringeworthy and in many cases just flat out mature um, mm-hmm. in ways that really I have been encouraged by what I see as um, very really tangible growth in both Cat and Dilo this year. I think mm-hmm. they are better players. They certainly are better than they were last year. That's goes without saying, but I'm talking about long-term as pieces to build on. Right. I think both are, are more um, and, and, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll tell you the truth. If Cat and Dilo are your two best players on the team, you're never going to win a ring. I mean, I'm not, overrating these guys but i am saying that they're sturdier pieces they are pieces that if you put a burden on them to be a competitive team um they are two of the foundational pieces that are less likely to crumble than i thought they might be at the beginning of this season
1: well i i think too what we're what we're learning what we're getting at with the cat thing is it's like there's a ton of great things that cat can do. It's, can you do a couple more of those things? Great. Can, can you get like, can you get it touched before the double comes and immediately go at it and get to your right hook right there before the second player comes? Can you square up and immediately take that jumper in their face and make that half the time? And then when they react faster, can, can you lock and drop? Can you get that? Right. Can you get that catch at the rim? Like, and he's two for three thus far. Cause he has right. done the,
2: the first two things you mentioned. He just hasn't done the
1: third right and so you know can can he you know can he do all those and 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 Dilo like can can he add a, a you know a, a couple more things obviously he's he's bringing a lot more defensively this year can he can we see his pick and roll volume and effectiveness go up in the second half of this season can we see him you know get to his shot more more consistently there's like it hasn't been bad at all with with cat right. and D'Lo this year even despite some of the numbers cats and cats and post up situations and D'Lo and just overall shooting. There is like there is this vision out there of what they could look like in the second half of the season that I don't think really is a mirage in any way where you go, okay, that's a pretty dynamic one too, not to mention, you know, ant fluttering in there at two or three or one sometimes as well. Exactly.
2: If they're healthy. Right. By all means. And it is an issue, I think that they, if without Pat Bev, Delo off the ball with Jordan McLaughlin is not a good idea, even Noel, not that good of an idea. Um, you do need a special kind of player to know when to feature Delo off the ball and when to use Delo's magnetizing off the ball to start to cook with cat someplace or cook with ants someplace. I mean, yet again, I mean, the, the ways in which Patrick Beverly is underrated, he may be overrated for the defensive culture and everything. Although I think he deserves almost all the credit. Everybody has absorbed that and they know how much of a difference he's made, but the decisions he makes on offense He's not a, a wonder kid. He's not a great skill guy on offense, but he almost always makes the right decision in terms of when to shoot, when to put the ball on the deck, when to pass quickly, when to set a back screen. I mean, all the time, if you just watch him in a team's half court offense, he and D'Lo, their half court (laughs) offense IQ is off the charts. And, and, is one of the best things about this right. pretty pretty bad half court offense that this team has right now. Um so what they need is for Ant to be more efficient, for Mike, for Beasley to be more efficient, for McDaniel's to be more efficient, for Vando to be anything, you know. <laughs> um they there are a lot of um there are a lot of guys right now that are not giving you what you need on offense and i don't think some of it of course is delos inaccuracy but Delo and pat bev it was kind of funny to hear finch the other night say i always thought they were going to be the starting backcourt you know yeah. <laughs> i mean it's like uh <laughs> it took a little while <laughs> Well, I mean, uh-huh. part of it, he Pat Pev did miss the first game and and he right. loves McDaniels and, you know, and so he wanted to give McDaniels as much chance as he could. And that's a pretty small team. If you have those two little guards and right. McDaniels at the four um, or, or Okoge. I mean, Vando solves a lot of a lot of problems uh, and, and his absence created a lot of problems last
1: night. Uh, I, I put out a. A call for some q a questions so let's take one more one more break and then i'll rip through a few of these uh sure questions that that people gave us
0: and we'll answer those after a break we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
1: All right, We are back with uh, Britt Robson of minpost for our final segment here. I, I put out a call on Twitter for for some for some questions for Britt and I here to to get at so we'll rip through some of these um, in the last 15- 20 minutes here. Uh, one question that I'm just seeing pop up right now is uh, from Mark at Mastidler. Uh, After cat, whose extended absence would hurt the wolves most? put another way. Who is the MVP after Cat? We have Britt got to see for the first time in two years what this team looks like without Anthony Edwards. I think that that's shown us some there. We've seen uh, D'Lo miss time. The Wolves are zero five in those games. What would be uh, what would be your answer to that question?
2: Well, understand that it's a roster question as much as it is a mm-hmm. individual talent question. So I would say D'Lo. I think that uh, Pat Bev would wear out quickly if he was having to do the offensive load that D'Lo has. I don't think they have a lot in the backcourt in terms of ball handlers and play creators. And I do think that D'Lo is an organizer on defense. He just needs he needs people to organize. I mean, he needs. I mean, what a
1: what an encouraging development. I agree with this too that. I mean, but we would not have said, we would have oh, said that, at all. that at Ant all. was the answer to this before. Yeah. And you could even like, I mean, and this isn't even a takeaway from Ant, but I mean, you can make a case for Patrick Beverly for this question. You can even make a case for Jared Vanderbilt for, exactly. for this question right now, exactly. given the roster and how the identity as you're getting at changes. But yeah, I do think the answer is d
2: And I am going to say something that um, I... <laughs>
1: This is this going to be like when you took? We're going to take McDaniel's yeah, over. Yeah, exactly.
2: Ant, Ant. It's the first thing I thought of. Um, <laughs> and right now, is the fifth most valuable player in that starting lineup.
1: I don't know, man. To the identity, yes, but he's the the talent. I think. Did yeah. you
2: miss? The Wolves no. three-point shooting on Sunday night. I thought it was what a what a joy it was to see this team take only like I, I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't but, thirty. I don't think, and they made over forty percent of them. Right. How in the world did that happen? Well, perhaps because the guy who usually chucks nine of them a game and makes a third of them wasn't in the lineup. You know, right. and obviously D'Lo is the same way. But you can't have two guys like that and. Anthony Edwards remains um if you if you were in a fantasy league and and you had a legacy league right. Anthony Edwards is the guy you'd keep more than anybody on the roster. Yeah, I think I'm dynasty
1: not, I, is the term you're looking dynasty, for.
2: At. yeah, there, it goes, <laughs> there it goes, Yeah, there you go. Legacy dynasty, right. One of those Y words. Uh, but you're right. I mean it it, it he is the keystone of the Wolves' future.
1: Right.
2: All that said, his second season has not been a leap. It has been a step. It has been sometimes looking more like a, a, a one step forward, one step back. But I think it's more for every three steps. There are two steps back. Right. Um, I, I do think he's making progress, and certainly in other aspects of his game, other than scoring and shooting, um, he's making progress. Uh, but well, he, if it would have been a
1: leap, if it would have been, if he would have taken a leap this season, the answer to this question is obviously the second most valuable player on the team is Anthony Edwards. Right, right, right. I mean, it's kind of that simple.
2: Right, right, and. But, you know, I I do want to say that I do think his on-ball and, to some extent, his off-ball defense has improved. Um, And I do think his rebounding is more conscious. Um, I do think his shot selection, quite frankly, is worse. Um, And
1: Well, I think it's worse because it's the same.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, you're probably right. It probably is just it's annoying because he hasn't figured it out and therefore feels worse. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that his potential value versus his real value is gapped wider than I would have expected from him this season. And, you know, on the other hand, we're not even, you know, we're, we're just barely over the, uh, one third mark, haven't hit the half season mark yet, and that's kind of where he took off last season. Right, um, and it may, it may be funny to look back on this and say, "Oh, remember when we thought that you know he wasn't doing
1: you know doing things?" But, I mean, that probably will happen. He's twenty, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I think it, it is also true, or at least fair, to say that Dilo has been. The second most valuable player, or who's the impact they would they feel most when he's missing. Along those lines, another question from uh, Matthew Williams on Twitter said, "Would you give Delo an extension, and if so, for how much?" Obviously, we know D'Angelo Russell he does have this season and next season left um, on the books, but he is extension eligible at the, at the end of the season. I think you know, to be fair, coming into the year, uh, you know, my thinking was when D'Lo brought up. The idea that it was a contract year that seemed a little bold, you know, he's already on a, on a max contract kind of thought that would just play out and, you know, and then you kind of reassess when you, when you get to that point, when he becomes an unrestricted free agent, um, he has played well. And to that end, I think it opens up the idea that as we're talking about, he's the second most, if he is the second most valuable player in this team right now, that when this offseason comes around that a extension makes more sense uh, as somebody in yourself, that's been very high on D particularly defensively this year. Has your mind changed on, no. on where, how you feel about him extension wise?
2: No, uh, I, I think that paying him over $30 million for the next two seasons and figuring out what happens after mm-hmm. that is by far the most logical thing to do. Um, it isn't like the guy, I don't think he's necessarily being overpaid now, which certainly was the case, uh, I think, last season. Um, But I don't think – it kind of reminds me of, like, whenever the the Gophers have a coach that has a winning season. Oh, okay, you know. (laughs) Time to give – you know, time to boost that salary and extend the time on it because, you know, we're afraid we're going to lose this guy. Uh, Let me tell you. If D'Lo was a coveted figure on the free agent market, then they would have Ben Simmons right now, probably, right. Um, because I think the Wolves were willing—maybe uh, not Rosas, but maybe even Rosas, if push came to shove—would uh, have would have taken Ben Simmons in in a D'Lo deal deal. Um, and I have been complimentary about him, and and that hasn't changed. I think that D'Lo, uh, I got. Almost nothing but good things to say about him in terms of so, what he. So so what
1: did. if what if he said and let's just fast forward end of like the, the yeah. season's over and whatever we just kind of duplicate this the wolves are finished the year thirty nine and forty three or whatever uh-huh. yeah which is what they're they're tracking for Dilo does this for the rest of the season would you as Sachin Gupta offer him a four year eighty million dollar contract.
2: You mean 20 a year?
1: 20 a year. Yeah.
2: I don't I think he'd regard that as insulting, wouldn't he?
1: I, I do too, but I'm just trying to No, set I wouldn't. the number I wouldn't
2: of insult him. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that dealo is What clearly, if you said he
1: would? What if he would take that though? Would you get would you do that?
2: Ooh. I that's not an answer I want to make quickly.
1: Yeah. I think
2: that's an interesting idea. I first of all, I think Dealo would outright reject it. Um, sure. uh so I think it's a moot point, but if I were able to get D'Angelo Russell for four years at $20 million a year and lock that in, uh, my first take on that is, yes, I'd do it. Because mm-hmm. D'Lo can kick over to shooting guard if you wind up deciding you need a better point guard. Um, and Ant can always kick up, therefore, to small forward and you have a dynamic team – that's assuming that you can get a bruising center or power forward to beef up your size. But I, I don't think that uh, that essentially cuts Dilo's salary by a third and locks him in longer during what will be the supposed primer of his career. Yeah, I'd probably do that.
1: Um, I think it's it's a more it's an interesting question of like now you're really, you know, you're more committed long term to this core of this team. Doesn't I mean? And you're probably right. The number needs to be higher. Maybe we call it four one hundred, four one ten, or something like that. But I, I, I think one of those numbers is a value, right? And and you sign him to it. If it's just like on paper, okay, he's worked this. But you go, okay, if we sign D'Lo to a four year one hundred contract or whatever it may be, now you have him for five more years, right? And you have you have ants signed up for that too. I mean, he'll get his extension in time. It's, it's a bit interesting. It, it feels a bit premature. Not that DLO isn't worth it necessarily, but it feels there's something that would give me anxiety about signing DLO long-term before you have cat locked up long-term, I guess, regardless Mm. of what the number is, you know?
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but at that price, I, I think that,
1: um, maybe I I went too low on it. I think he's movable right that's you true. know that's true and
2: and so but in answer to the guy's question mm. i would not sign him to an extension i think that both sides should be comfortable and i wouldn't have said this on the wool side until these last 30 games uh i think both sides should be comfortable with giving dlo 30 million a year he is important on both sides of the ball um he's having what I view as probably a career year, even though his shooting is terrible. Um, I do think his shooting will get better. I don't think it will be, he's not a 55, 56% true shooting percentage guy. I think he's usually more going to be low fifties. Um, but I think he organizes a team. Well, I think he can do things that are really important. And I think there is value as much as I'm not a hero ball kind of guy. I think there is value on a team that does have cat and ant and ant to have a guy who, you know, if you want a bucket, he is willing to be the guy to try to get you that bucket and has had some success doing that. That, That's all that's worth money. um, But not more than $30 million a year. And why um, you're in the catbird seat paying D'Lo for right. the next two two seasons, why he, his happiness is not worth overextending yourself into the future that much because it's a two-way street, you know. He, he got overpaid for a while. If, if he turns out being underpaid the next year, you know, a year and a half from now, that's the way that's the way contracts are supposed to work
1: you know um another direction here Kyle Ajo asks is and you would be better at answering this question than I would um, simply put is this the best coaching staff the wolves have ever had
2: hmm. um, that's really hard because you don't know the the breakdown of how the, you know Pablo prigioni is he a figurehead or is he important you know? I really get the impression that Chris Finch. He doesn't have quite a Tibbs level control over this team, but it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. I think that he's a dominant figure in the room. And then I think you go Micah Nori. And then after that, I think there's a big drop off. That's just my own. That's my personal sense of things. That said, Finch, I love him. I think he's a great coach. Uh, Micah Nori, may just, you know, he may just charm me with, he's a silver tongue devil, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's the kind of guy you listen to, I could listen to him talk all day. I mean, you know, he's so much fun. He blends in a knowledge with the game with a, you know, an idea, but he he, he tries for analogies that the unsuccessful analogies are almost as much fun as the successful analogies. Right he's up your alley. Good, he's a good dude. He's a good <laughs> dude to have around, you know. Uh, and I also think he's a smart coach. So I, I would say that uh, the the coaching staff that had flipped Jerry C's thing, I thought was a very good assistant for the Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, Alleman, Alleman and his son, you know, Alleman's son actually, even David, back then. Yeah. yeah it was, is a, he's a really, he, he, if he, if he cleans up some of his, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to even get into that. I think that he will essentially become a head coach someday, yeah. um, and well,
1: I think oh, he's he's Michael Malone's number two in command right now, right? Okay. Oh,
2: well, there you go. So I would say that the Adelman era, and I would say that maybe one of the years that Flip had Ceasing, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I would say that those are the the periods that I, I think have been the, the three best coaching errors.
1: So a similar question here from Fat Greg Oden is, is the list of NBA coaches you'd rather have than Chris Finch longer than five current NBA coaches?
2: Well, I will tell you right now that um, I am a huge believer in continuity right now. Right. Uh, I, one of the things that I'm a call them, I don't know when I'm going to write it, I've been thinking about writing it in February. I may write it sooner is um, let's not mess around. Let's not monkey. Let's not make the perfect, the enemy of the good. And I want to see what happens on status quo. I want to see what happens when you keep this roster together with this coaching staff and just give them time to marinate and to have this culture permeate a little bit more. And
1: right. And front office, too.
2: And right? exactly, I think that's tied exactly. To it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely tied to that. And so let's just get comfortable with that. Is Eric Spolstra a better coach than Chris Finch? I think he is. Yes. Um, are there four or five other guys that probably are? Yeah. Um, do I want to see anything get messed with right now <laughs> in terms of uh, replacing Chris Finch or making some significant changes in the way this organization operates right now? No, I do not. So, uh, you know, kind of a weird answer. I would say I'd rather have Finch right now than any other coach because I don't want to mess with what I acknowledge is, you know, at best 500 situation. But Mm -hmm. I feel like um, this is like a team that has been stuck in a deep trowel trying to rock the car out by putting on the gas, and hitting the accelerator and rocking this thing out. And it's like they're just now escaping this muddy pothole or this snow, whatever you want to call it. And people are saying, All right, let's, you know, put a turbocharged V8 in this baby, you know, let's, you know, let's uh, turn on the afterburners and you know, whatever. All right. Let's see what happens now that we're finally escaping a, a bad place psychologically, physically, skill-wise, let's see what happens. Let's get rolling a little bit and then we'll figure it out.
1: Right, I remember asking myself and and some people when I was at Summer League about like uh, about Chris Finch or just thinking about Chris Finch and and I was asking, you know, if Chris Finch is Nick Nurse 2.0, right? Uh-huh. If 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 he is that, which, you know, that's very high praise, but certainly similarities there. I was just wondering, like, what is the impact of that, you know? And and I think I was thinking about it a little bit too like black and white, like, oh, how many extra wins is that, you know? And and I think to your point on on continuity and on culture and on those sort of things, we are and I'm not saying Chris Finch necessarily is Nick Nurse now, but I think 30 games into the season, we can say it that's more true than it was a few months ago. Um and I do think the Im- the impact of that is proving to be pretty profound from uh, from a culture standpoint. I think uh, above all else, I think there's been some things he's tripped up on in terms of rotation. We're talking about the starting lineup. You know, it's just a tricky roster to even be able to right. to to figure out and to coach perfectly. But I just I don't know. You've been at the game since where we sit for a lot longer than I have, but I just see a group of players who listen and get along with and are engaged by this coach a lot more than I have seen when it was Tom Thibodeau or Ryan Saunders on the sidelines. And and I'm I don't know exactly what the value of that is, but I tend to believe it's probably pretty large and it's pretty important in terms of setting a culture for anthony edwards um it's pretty important in terms of convincing carl anthony towns to sign again here to to make a DLO extension make sense and i think even if it is just a 500 year 38 win year this and that that will be a real positive externality of of chris finch if that if that proves to be true
2: yes And I do think that what I also like about him is that he, like last night, there were all kinds of reasons for the Wolves not to have won last night. And I know we opened this podcast with me saying it was totally understandable how they lost last night because they didn't have their identity guys on the court. But Finch's job is not to concede unless he feels like strategically that's the thing to do. And he is not that way. He's not that kind of guy. He is mm-hmm. he is like like the heady, good but never gonna be great point guard who leads the team by what he says in the locker room and what he shows on the court, right. getting getting, you know, the ball with the best players and stuff and playing hard nosed. He's one of those guys that is a combination of being a a tone setter and a glue guy, only he's on the bench, you know, right. it's why he and Pat Bev, I think really have a great mutual admiration society. Um, and so I do think like last night, he just, he wasn't happy. He hated the shot selection. And that was obviously a rip on DLO, in my opinion, and Malik Beasley, by the way, um, you know, who everybody praised as having a great game because the shots went in, but you know, I'm over right. Malik Beasley right now, to be honest with you, but that's a whole other con- conversation. Anyway,
1: well there is there is a there's <laughs> we'll do this for the last question from Carl Towns, number one fan. What is Malik Beasley's role should the team explore <laughs> oh, trading him? That'll be our last question. What's his role should the Wolves explore trading Malik Beasley?
2: Um his role is very simple, which is to to fill up to get a bucket off the bench. Uh, on, a, on a second unit that really needs him to be a 40% shooter from deep on, on a lot of volume and to give D'Lo room to uh, explore getting the other three guys who are uh, desperately in need of playmaking touches in the right spots. Um, and I think the Wolves' second unit offense um, – has been let down by Malik Beasley. I think that his quickness on the draw above the break threes, rather than going to the corner more often, which in fairness, he has begun to do a little bit more. Um, His role on the team is the designated scorer in the second unit and a guy who, when he is hot, understands both his role as a scorer and his role as a decoy. And also, I mean, his role.
1: Brett, he's shooting 72% of his shots from three this season. Yeah. And last season he shot 52% of his shots from three. Yeah. Uh, It's, It's too much, man.
2: It is too much, but I bet you, I don't know if you have this up. I bet his corner threes are not up. I think they're all above the break
1: no oh wait uh no well 25 of his shots are have been corner threes this year and 15 of them were corner threes last year now granted it's overall his threes are up you know so i guess it's so what about is
2: above the break
1: then above the break have been 47 percent of his total shots Um, this year, and last year it was 37% of his total shots. I mean, he's just shooting more threes overall.
2: No, but you're right. It's funny that it feels to me like...
1: It's increased by 10% from the corner and 10% from above the break, and that's what's got it from 52 to
2: 72. Yeah, Uh, uh, but because the shot mix in the corners was always a lesser percentage, that 10% is a bigger chunk missing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, it feels to me like the injurious shots are of the above the break threes. If Beasley misses from the corner, I, I usually don't think it's a bad shot.
1: Um, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I don't need, I mean, he's a, he is a good shooter. He's a really and,
2: good three point shooter from the corners, especially.
1: And I, I was, I was showing this to you at the last game we were at i was just looking up the highest volume three-point shooters per minute in the league like if if you look it up malik isn't going to be one of the highest overall volume three-point shooters because he plays fewer minutes than guys who start right but it really struck me that um his volume per minute of threes is the same as duncan robinson this year and they're shooting the same percentage
2: as well that was kind of amazing
1: and and i don't know like i don't really mean this to make excuses for Beasley because I think part of the reason why he struggled is he didn't come into camp in the same level of shape that he he has in the past, but it is just always important to acknowledge with three-point shooting that it is volatile, you know? Yes. Like yep. And it, a great shooter, and I would say Malik Beasley is a pretty great shooter, but a, a for sure great shooter like Duncan Robinson is just as volatile as well, where your three-point percentage can drop by 10% year over year it, it happens or at least in this chunk i think it would suggest those numbers would suggest that i think if malik beasley uses a little bit more discernment on what threes he takes and some natural progression back to his mean we have we we'll, are going to have a better offensive option a better three-point shooter from malik beasley in the, the second half of the year if he stays on the team and and to that end like I mean, I just remember talking to people around the deadline last year, and there wasn't a heavy demand for Malik Beasley at $16 million a year. And that's when he was shooting 40% on nine threes a game. He's not in as good of shape this year. He's shooting worse. Um, I And you haven't even
2: talked about
1: – go
2: to his page, his NBA career page, and look at the defensive ratings. I mean – they are, they will burn your eyes. I mean, you know, he he was the worst two years running. He had the worst defensive rating on the team. I don't know what it is this year, but I guarantee—well, I, I shouldn't guarantee you. I would guess that among the ten top rotation guys, he is second, third, or fourth worst, if not the worst, in terms of defensive rating.
1: On the Wolves, you're saying? Yeah, or across the is, this year, this year. Yeah. It'd take me a second to to pull that up, but yeah, I I, I think that's been a disappointment from me too. He's a and, bad defender. He's the yeah. bad
2: defender, and part of that is he's not large. I um, mean, he really is a, a whippet kind of guy. And part well, of I, is- I got
1: it here. I got it here, Britt. The okay. uh, well, the worst defensive rating is McKinley Wright in his four minutes. He's no, I'm talking top ten. I know.
2: Okay.
1: I, I, okay, so these are these are the four worst defensive ratings on the team. McKinley Wright, that one doesn't count. Jordan McLaughlin, Torian Prince, and then Malik Beasley. So of the consistent role pl- or the players consistently in the rotation, Malik Beasley does have the worst defensive rating on the team, worse than Nas Reed, worse than Jalen Noel, who are the the next worst of the rotation players this season. And yeah, it uh, I I was optimistic that it was going to trend in a, a better direction for him this year. And it it certainly has not. And I don't think you can exclusively blame the fact that he's in the second unit or anything like that. I mean, maybe that's a small factor. He just hasn't really improved a lot as as a defender.
2: One thing I will say about Malik Beasley, because I, I think I've ripped him pretty solidly here, and I, I liked him you know, as the team's designated scorer at different points in the last, you know, since he's come over from Denver, his role is not nearly as important as it was in any of his other times on the Wolves. Right. Um, his minutes are dictated by how well other players are playing rather than how well he's playing. Hmm. And he is an extremely proud and loud individual. Um, the fact that he has kept his mouth shut, and worked hard and tried to fit in this year, has been a sacrifice that should not go unnoticed. Um, he's been I a agree good. He's been a good team guy. Um, unfortunately, it has not transferred over to fulfilling this reduced role in a way that would make it great, perfect all the way around. And he always has argued, and I don't know if it's true or not, it's a great argument to make, is that the longer he plays, the better he gets. Uh, You know, I bet you a lot of players would like to say that. But um, I do think that there are times when he gets into a rhythm on the court. And a couple of times this year I have noticed that it's just his time to come off when he is not finished uh, completing that hot rhythm and right. that's a bitter pill for somebody like Malik Beasley to swallow. So hats off to him for, you know, swallowing that bile every now and then and, and being a team guy.
1: Yeah. I, I think we would have liked to have seen him bring a little bit more in these games with Edwards out yeah. with him in the starting lineup. And, you know, he did make six of his 12 threes last night. Like,
2: oh, he's trying. He's definitely chucking them up. And, you know, I mean, he, they he, went in. He, half of them went in.
1: I mean, yeah. I'm with but you they they do as feel always forced. with
2: Malik Beasley, you know, it does translate to winning.
1: Right. Right. No, that is that is the question. Um, do you have anything else we need to hit on here before we go?
2: No. I think that uh what uh we should we wish our listeners Well, you'll be talking to the listeners before uh, Christmas is over, you know?
1: Maybe. Um, uh I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's, maybe you'll be
2: uh, you'll be lying half dead in a bed and uh <laughs> but I, what i will say is that um you know i am not a religious person i am uh, my my christmas experience growing up was totally commercial my my parents loved lording presents onto us and so therefore uh i've done the same for my child and uh we like the holidays because we have our traditions uh, they're not necessarily religious traditions. They're definitely more commercial traditions. But it's a kind of time of year I really do enjoy. And I hope however you take your holidays, whether it's Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Christmas, um, and whether it's commercially or in the way it was originally meant to be, <laughs> uh, that you have that kind of a holiday that is satisfying you as we go through yet another round of this bullshit um <laughs> pandemic
1: right no and and i i think too and i maybe this is more of a thanksgiving thing of the thankfulness but it, i'm having a lot of fun this year um covering this team doing the show with you by myself with others um and as always it's uh you put it once that like the people listening to this are our wolves tribe and um i you know I agree with that, and it's it's just uh, it's cool to you know share in this team with with you and with, with with everyone else. That is like, I think we've moved out of the wilderness of <laughs> right, just wolves, sad randomness. And for me, I've had so much fun this year talking about basketball, and I'd say yeah. that pretty much every episode with you. But it's it's really interesting to me to think about, you know, what, um, you know, how cat is being guarded this year or mm-hmm. how the, the thing we were talking about with D low and those sort of things. And they're not even, they're not even meant to be rips on the the players. It's meant to be like, man, this is what normal teams do, right? right. Normal teams fighting for the playoffs. They, over the course of the year, find ways to become more effective, right? And, and teams try and counter of ways to make them, them less effective and it, the chess, of of wolves basketball games this year have been have been really interesting, and it's made it so. I don't even really want to get into the. There's a bunch of the questions that that we got today that were about Miles Turner and trades and all this. Oh, and yeah, that. yeah, yeah.
2: Right,
1: right. And and the time will come for that, but but I think you and I both are having fun just watching this team play every night and covering them.
2: And it's easier. You said more interesting. It's because we have definable things that we know are trying to be accomplished. Sometimes we're, you know, I mean, in previous seasons, we're scratching our heads. What are they up to here? You know, why, why are we, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what is the hidden agenda? You know, why, why is Trevion Graham shooting, you know, four threes a game or, you know, why, uh, are um
1: ambiguous injuries all that yeah, sort of exactly, stuff exactly
2: you know exactly and uh is Ed Davis going to get 20 <laughs> minutes tonight or two and in the right. grand scheme of things it didn't make a goddamn bit of difference whether Ed mm-hmm. Davis got 20 or 2 because he wasn't going to be here in a right. year or two you know and, right. and so you you're doing these um you know kabuki theater scenarios of you know, oh, you know, this may right. happen. No, no, probably not. It probably will not happen. You know, right. whether Ed Davis plays well, you know, on February seventeenth is not really a thing that we want to talk about.
1: Right. No. I'm, uh, yeah. The these questions about D'Lo, about Cat, about Ant are important because they are the core of this team and likely will be in the the coming years, and that's why it makes it interesting game to game what they are doing well and what they're not doing well. It's it's all relevant. And it's it's a good feeling to come into watching every one of these games, getting to Target Center, going to another game, whatever, where you're like, oh, the Wolves want to win this game. You know? Right. Exactly. Chris, Chris, We do our pre-game interview with Chris Finch, and it's not about, oh, who's going to get some run tonight? It's about who's going to play so we can win tonight? And, and that, I, I would imagine, as a fan, Makes tuning in to watch Timberwolves games, you know, a lot more of of an appointment in you know in their schedules because it's actual basketball and uh, and yeah I've I've had a I've had a lot of fun with that so from me and Britt uh, Merry Christmas Happy Holidays uh, to all of you We'll be back uh, sometime next week talking again after uh, a few more games the Christmas games I just saw Luca just tested positive uh, <laughs> for COVID. <laughs> So, you know, who knows what's gonna go on uh with this league, but uh we'll we'll keep talking about it. Hopefully I'll be back sitting next to you at a game, maybe not right behind the bikes, uh <laughs> in in the near future. But I, I look forward to the rest of the year. Sounds good. All right, he's Brett. I'm Dane Britt Robson on Twitter, Dane Moore MBA on Twitter. Britt'll have a column for you at min post on what will that be? Thursday afternoon. Give that a read. And uh, again, happy holidays. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, I'm Dane.
2: Peace out.